Good morning. We are glad you're here today. It's good to see our attendance rising. And we are glad that you are here today. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We are grateful that you've come to honor us with your presence. We encourage you to come back tonight. We meet again at 6 p.m. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We're thankful for every opportunity that we have to come together as God's people, to be encouraged and built up in the faith, to grow in our faith, and that's the goal. And so we thank God for the opportunity to be His people and for the hope of heaven that lies before us. We're going to be looking today at Genesis chapters 6 and 7. I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapters 6 and 7. We're going to be talking today about an individual that is very familiar to many of us, a man by the name of Noah. And I guess as young children, we first were introduced to Noah in Bible class as just small children. We've often talked about Noah and the flood and the implications of that flood. Well, in our study today, I want to call attention to this worldwide flood that occurred during the days of Noah. The theme of our study today, and the door was shut. You know, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, of course, talking in that context, said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The Lord Jesus there saying that if we will open the door, invite him in, he'll come in and we will enjoy fellowship or communion with him. To understand that God is interested in each and every person. God loves you individually. And God wants you to know that He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what we have to do is make preparation today because we're not assured of tomorrow. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, today is a day of salvation. So in Genesis chapter 6, we have an account of God surveying the landscape of the earth. And God didn't like what He saw, and so God decreed that He would destroy the world by means of a flood. So I want you to think about the fact that for over a century, a man by the name of Noah built an ark, making preparation for the flood that God had decreed would ultimately destroy all flesh. So with that in mind, I want to begin by talking first and foremost about the preparation. As we look at Genesis chapter 6, I want to remind you very quickly. You remember back in chapter 1, God was the one who created mankind. He made man in His image and in His likeness. In chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living soul. God was the one who made the woman for the man. You can read about that in the latter part of chapter 2. God had laid down, however, a prohibition. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, they ate and they died. They began to die physically. They did die spiritually. And God then introduced 
His redemptive plan, chapter 3, verse 15. That redemptive plan rested upon the shoulders of His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who would ultimately come into the world. So we come to Genesis chapter 6, and God has decreed He's going to destroy the world. One family would be the link between the promise made in chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 12 with regard to Abraham. God would use a man by the name of Abraham to bless all nations of the earth. But that seed line would run through the family of Noah. So just keep that in mind as we look at Genesis chapter 6. I want to begin by talking about, first and foremost, the preparation. Look at verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and was grieved in his heart. Number one, we talk about God's grief. God is serving his landscape. You remember, you remember back in Genesis chapter 1 and about verse 31, when God surveyed his creation, the Bible says he declared it is very good. And now God is grieved in his heart over the crown of his creation. And so in verse 7, God said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. Drop down, look at verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Can I ask you a question? When God surveys the landscape of the world today, what does He see? Do you think God is pleased with His creation? Would it be possible that when God looks at the human family today, He is grieved in His heart? Is it not the case that in America, our nation is overrun by violence? And you think about the hatred and ill will and all of the murders that take place in this nation daily. We're a violent nation of people, aren't we? And in many respects, we have corrupted our way on the earth. I can tell you why. Because we have moved away from the pattern given in Scripture. God's Word is intended to bless us, not intended to curse people. And yet, so many times we have the idea we know better than God, so we discard the Word of God, and as a result of that, we have mayhem. So number one, we have God's grief. But then number two, God's grace. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect or blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. Here was a man that stood head and shoulders above the human family. Matter of fact, over in chapter 7, verse 1, God spoke of Noah as one who was righteous in his generation. So Noah was an upright man, one who sought to live in harmony with the God who created him. There are some people that maybe don't necessarily understand, this is the first time the word grace is found in Scripture. 
It's not the first instance of grace, but it is the first time that the term is used itself. Now go back to chapter 3. After Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden and God set forth the promised seed, you remember God had said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, God's grace and the inception or the unveiling of that promised seed certainly under, underscores the fact that God's grace was manifested. Now, what about grace today? Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. The catalyst behind God's redemptive plan, His grace, mercy, and love. And Paul catalogs all of that in Ephesians chapter 2. You remember he said, But God, who is rich in mercy... For the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Raised us up together with Him. Made us sit together in the heavenly places. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." So God's grace has been manifested to the human family. How do we know something about the grace and mercy and love of God? All you got to do is look at Calvary, don't you? Wasn't it the Apostle Paul said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more? And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you have God's Grief, God's grace, and then take note of this. Wherever God's grace is found in Scripture, it is always accompanied by divine teaching. It's true in the days of Noah. It's true today. Well, how do I know that? I mentioned just a moment ago, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, where Paul said, The grace of God's appeared, bringing salvation to every man. In verse 12, he said, teaching us, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So what about God's guidance in the life of Noah? Well, look at what the record says beginning in verse 14. God said to Noah in the long ago, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. He said, The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. In other words, 450 feet long. Its width, 50 cubits, 75 feet wide. Its height, 30 cubits or 45 feet high. He said, you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. Set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So we're talking about a massive seafaring vessel. And God said to Noah, you found grace in my eyes. I'm going to destroy the world. But here's how you can avoid this flood. You've got to build an ark of gopher wood. Now you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. 
Noah didn't have the luxury of looking back over history and saying, you know, I remember the last time God destroyed the world by means of a flood. Because that had never occurred. And yet the record says he did that by faith. Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So I would assume, based upon what the record says, that Noah took the commands of God, believing that he would bring to pass what he promised, and complied with the instructions given. Matter of fact, down in verse 22, the record says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. So here is Noah, for over a century, preparing this ark. Why? To save his family. Now, I want to think in the second place. Number one, we talk about the preparation for the flood. But then, secondly, we have another important feature, and that is the preservation from the flood. Look at chapter 7 in verse 1. Here's what God said to Noah. Come into the ark, you and all your household. Here's another first. The first time the word come is used with regard to the human family. Now you remember Jesus said during His earthly ministry, Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, the promise being, I will give you rest. The Bible closes in Revelation chapter 22 with John saying, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. So there is this open invitation, God inviting Noah and his family to enter the ark. And then drop down, if you would, and look at verse 16. In verse 16, the Bible says, So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. In other words, the door was shut. Now look at verse 18. Rain begins flooding the earth. And the Bible says in verse 18, The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Verse 20, the waters prevailed, 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. We're talking about a global flood that changed the dynamics of the landscape of the world in which we live. So let me ask this question. God told Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want you to make preparation for this great flood of waters coming upon the earth. God invites him and his household into the ark, closes the door, the rains begin to descend, the flood waters rise. Who was saved? I want you to think about all the people that were living on planet earth at the time of the flood. How many people were saved? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, when the long-suffering of God waited while the ark was preparing, wherein few, listen to him, that is, eight souls were saved by water. All the people that lived on planet earth, the men, the women, the children, I mean, you're talking about millions of people and only eight 
souls were saved. Drop down, look if you would, at verse 22. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth, only Noah. And those who were with him, listen to him, in the ark remained alive. So, only Noah and seven other people were saved. Did you know that God has an ark of spiritual safety today wherein only the saved reside? That ark of safety is called the church. And there are some parallels between the ark and the church. The ark was a type. But then in the New Testament, there are some antitypes. There are some things that correspond to that Old Testament type. So with regard to those who were saved in the days of Noah, the Bible says only eight souls were saved. Now, you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer said, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear. And listen to what the record says, And prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah took what God said, he believed it, and he obeyed him. And as a result of his obedience, what happened? His family members were saved, weren't they? Now, the only place that people are saved today is in the church. Well, how do I know that? Because the record says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, speaking of Jesus, that He is the Savior of the body. How many arks were there? Only one ark, right? Just one ark during the days of Noah? There's just one church. And only the saved are in the one church. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said unto Peter, Upon this rock I will build, listen to him, my church. The church that we're talking about belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who promised to build it. And Jesus said, I will build my church, suggesting to Peter and the other disciples that the church would belong to Him. So, salvation in the days of Noah, it was in the ark. Salvation today, it's in the ark called the church. Well, how many churches are there? There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Well, what's, what's the body? He put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church, listen to Him, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The same Bible that teaches that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, teaches that there is only one body. Well, where are the saved? They're in the one body. So you've got one ark and one church. But then secondly, there was only one builder of the ark, wasn't there? Only one builder of the church. The only one who had the right to build the church was Jesus. Any church that was built by someone other than the Lord Jesus is not the one church that we read about in Scripture. And unless you're in the one church you read about in Scripture, you're not among the saved. So, when you start looking at what the Bible has to say, and you think about 
those people who lived during the days of Noah, they could see Noah at work. Here's Noah out here hammering away, hauling wood in, making preparation. And then God shut them in the ark. Noah was the one builder, Jesus the one builder of the church. The Bible says there was only one window or one light. The one light that guides the one church is called the Word of God. We don't need anything other than Scripture, do we? Didn't the psalmist say, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway? Didn't the Apostle Paul say, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable? For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The only creed book that we follow is the Bible. No creed but Christ. We're simply trying to follow the words of the living God. Matter of fact, Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So you have one ark, one church. One builder of the ark, one builder of of the church. One light in the ark, one light in the church. One door in the ark. The Bible says the door was on the side of the ark. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If any man will come in, he'll be saved. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, I am the door. Now there are a lot of folks in the world today, they have this idea that, you know, Jesus was a good man, but you don't really have to obey him. You don't really have to acknowledge that He is deity. You don't have to come to an understanding of what He teaches in order to be saved. Well, it's rather odd because Jesus said in John chapter 8, except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. What the Lord is saying is we've got to come to an understanding that He is the divine Son of the living God. And He is the only one through whom we can be saved. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. In Acts 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So Jesus is the door. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. There's only one ark and one church. How did Noah get into the one ark? Well, God instructed him, didn't he? How then do we get into the one ark called the church? Oh, we've got to listen to the instructions given in Scripture, don't we? When you go back to Pentecost Day and you begin reading what they did on Pentecost Day to become children of God, what does the record say? You remember the apostle Peter stood before a multitude of people, the other apostles, they're preaching and teaching the gospel in its fullness for the very first time. And they preached the death, burial, resurrection, and coronation of Jesus. In verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, God placed His stamp of approval on His Son, Jesus. That He is the Lord, and He is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Now the Bible says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now please listen very carefully. I want you to listen to what Peter said. And see how that is at variance with what you typically hear in the world today. Peter said, number one, you need to repent. 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Did Peter know what he was talking about? In Matthew 16, 19, the Bible says he received the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 18, 18, in the book of Matthew, the Bible says the apostles received the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So when that group of people cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter didn't say, All right, everybody, bow your heads, accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, and recite this prayer. But that's what you hear people tell you every day on television and on the radio. That's not what the Bible says. And you will never enter the church that Jesus bought and built by responding to the sinner's prayer. Why? Because it's not biblical. It's just not there. Now the Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear. Faith is taking God at His word and responding with an obedient heart. On Pentecost Day, when those people cried out and they wanted to know what they needed to do, Peter had the right, the God-given right, to set forth the terms of legislation into the kingdom of God. There is only one way to get into the kingdom. There's only one family in the kingdom. That family is the family of God. How many people were saved? Noah and his family. Noah, his sons, and their wives. Eight souls were saved. What was it Peter said? 1 Peter chapter 3, the like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us, not the removal of the flesh of the body, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You mean to tell me that when I'm baptized into Christ, all of my sins are washed away. That's exactly right. That's what Peter said, Acts 2, verse 38. You mean to tell me that when I obey the gospel, I can be saved from sin. That's what Peter said, 1 Peter 3, 21. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Either what Jesus said was truth or not. It's amazing to me the number of people in the religious world that talk about how much they love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not trying to impugn the motives or heart of anyone. It seems to me that if we genuinely respect the authority of Jesus, then we will honor what He taught in Mark 16, 16. We'll not quibble about it. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. And what was it Peter said? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So you got preparation, preservation, and then thirdly, separation. Look again at what the record says. Genesis chapter 7. The Bible says, verse 22, All whose nostrils was the breath of life, the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So it destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth, only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Now, imagine if you can the picture. Noah has built this ark 450 feet long, or rather 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Three stories in this ark. And God has let forth the rains of heaven. The earth was convulsing. Rain was coming down. The 
earth, spitting up debris. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like in the day of Noah? And all those people that had no doubt laughed and mocked when Peter's out here, or rather when Noah's out here building this ark. Noah, why are you building an ark? I mean, what's the purpose of that? You mean to tell me there's going to be a flood? Are you kidding me? When that rain started coming down and, those, and the waters began to rise, how many people do you think surrounded that ark? Door shut. And they're banging on the side of that ark and they're crying out to Noah, please let us in. Please let us in. Do you think that there were some hands that were bloodied? Do you think that there were people that clawed so much on the side of that ark that their fingernails came off? You talk about a hopeless situation. Those folks were dying and they knew it. Now what's the application for us today? You need to make preparation for eternity. If there's anything we've learned in the last few days as members of the church at Olive Branch, it is the frailty of life, the brevity of life. Two weeks ago Sunday, for a span of eight days, we lost five people. Five people. I have done two funerals in one day but I have never conducted a double funeral. But I did Thursday. Now, I know there are a lot of folks, they have in their mind, they're going to be here for a long time. Maybe that's the case. I hope it is. The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this comes the judgment. Once you step out onto the plains of eternity, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you will never again have that opportunity. Did you know that? You can't make preparation. There's no preservation. You are, as we say, done. That's it. That is a sobering fact. Job said, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Two months ago, the people that died over the span of that eight days, how many of those people do you think thought, I'll be in eternity within just a couple of months? Sobering question. What about you? Are you in the ark of God's spiritual safety? So number one, death can separate us. Number two, the day of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is teaching there. He'd been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. In verse 36, he said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man not the angels of heaven, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus now changes the subject matter. 
He's talking now about His second coming. He said, For as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now listen to what He said. In those days, what were they doing? He said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. What are you saying, Jesus? The Lord Jesus is saying, just like in the days of Noah, folks are going about their daily business. They're out here working in the fields. You've got women who are grinding at the mill. You've got people who are marrying, giving in marriage. They're doing this, they're doing that. They're not thinking about anything. But then when Noah entered the ark, what happened? The rains began to descend. The floods came. The winds blew. Jesus will come again. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter uses that analogy of the flood. Where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Oh, but this they willfully forget. There was a world that perished in the days of Noah. And Peter said, The Lord Jesus will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works therein shall be burned up. Are you ready for that day? If the Lord Jesus Christ were to come this very minute, there would be nothing we could do to make preparation. You wouldn't have time to be baptized into Christ. You wouldn't have time to be restored. I know we talk about that, and people say, well, you know, it'll never happen. But Jesus said this, he said, if the good man of the house had known at what hour his house would have been broken into, at what hour the thief would come, he said he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. So what, what are you saying, Jesus? He said, watch. Watch therefore. Jesus will come at a time when we don't expect it. There's a separation coming. Just as surely as we are here today. Now, here's my question to you Are you among the saved or the lost? Are you in the ark of God's spiritual safety today? If you're not, and you died, we need to be absolutely clear on this. If you die in your sins, Jesus said, Where I am, there you cannot come. You'll be lost forevermore. Let that sink in for a minute. If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be lost. If you're not faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ, if you're not doing your best to walk in the light as He is in the light, then when the Lord Jesus comes, remember what the Hebrew writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. When you stand front and center before the Son of God, and He begins to delve into your life. And at one time you had been faithful, but you died unfaithful, or He came and you were unfaithful. What are you going to say? What kind of an excuse are you going to give the Lord on that day? I tell you this, there is not an excuse you can muster that will pass the test. Not one. 
No one, seven people were saved. I can only imagine the howling cries of those people crying out to Noah, please let us in. Look, the door was shut. There's coming a day the door will shut, either because of death or because of the day of the Lord. But it will shut. Listen again to Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let him in? Will you come to Christ today? Why would you want to be lost? Look, God loves you. Proved he loved you by sending his son to die for your sins. If you will come to Christ today, I can promise you this, God will pardon all of your sins. The Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. God will pardon your sins, you'll enjoy peace with God, you will have all the blessings and favors that are only found in Christ Jesus. When the Lord comes, when that roll is called up yonder, guess what? You'll hear your name. Remember what John said, Revelation chapter 20, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The books were opened. Another book was opened. God's Word's going to be opened. Oh, you can rest assured of that. His Word's going to be opened. You're going to be judged by the contents of this book. How well do you know it? Better yet, how well are you living in accordance with it? And then, when He opens that book of life, that divine register with all the saved in it, will your name be in it? Is your name in the book of life? If it's not, could I strongly encourage you to do what you need to do today? When you obey the gospel, God will put your name in that book of life. One day when he reads that Lamb's book of life, your name will be there. Won't you come as we stand and sing?